Hello and welcome to Dev Tales. I'm Duncan, and with me today is a returning guest, Ankit Quadakar. We had some unfinished business last time. <laughs> sure, Isn't you that can right? Say that. You can say that. You can say that. I think uh, we just ran out of time, and uh, there was so much to talk about. It was. We were actually recording in in the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, yeah, yeah. At that point, I think the sun was setting about 4:30 p.m. So not not super late. But and we also had a guest, right, who just like left almost 10 minutes before we ended. Uh, oh. An unwelcomed guest, but, you know, he was fine. Yeah, yeah, I he mean. He's just quiet, you know, listening. Yeah, absolutely. That was, <laughs> that's, that's a, we managed to have a very good conversation regardless. That uh, was fun. But today, like last time, in case you missed it, um, that was, I want to say episode six, but if I'm wrong, there haven't been that many of them, so you'll figure it out. But uh, but yeah, we talked a lot about the early days of Node.js at Amazon and how to like drive, um, how to like drive support for technology and how to get a new technology to prove itself. Um, but today we're going to focus a little bit more on the responsibilities and burdens of management. Okay. <laughs> because at the end of the day, if the team doesn't deliver, usually it falls on the manager, has been my experience. Even if the manager is really doing everything they can, it's sort of like at the higher levels, they don't want to delve into like which individual developer like was like poor, like wrote this module poorly, which caused problems for this service. They tend to just sort of point at, somebody a little bit further up and up in the food chain and go, okay, why does, why did this happen? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> uh, just to say one thing there, like one of the cornerstones of like very good management in general is, is that um, you sort of act as a team. So if you have a success or you have a failure, uh, it's all the entire team is responsible and not necessarily any individual. Even if I was and sick that week, <laughs> Even if you were sick that week, sure. <laughs> That's actually a, a good example where you might just be sick and like there's nothing anyone can do about it. And uh, that's totally fine. I think um, uh, instances where directly people get blamed or get, you know, uh, added, I think that's like a very bad way to run a team uh, in general. So I don't think it's like the managers uh, are responsible as much as, yes, they're responsible for their team as a whole. Um, but even if, like, in my instance, like, uh, in my case, at least, uh, if if there is a failure, um, I will never, you know, like, I'll give feedback to people who could have done a better job, but it's never, like, it's one person. It's sort of like, we failed, and then let's figure out what happened. Right. And that helps. Uh, what I've noticed is uh, a lot of people don't understand the importance of being able to acknowledge mistakes and then actually correct them. Um, more so than to blame. Like, so you have to be very forward-looking in those things. Um, otherwise, what happens is through the year, your you know the team as a whole makes a lot of mistakes, and it does not take. Uh, it's easy for anyone to just sit down and just be like, "Oh, like you were wrong and you were wrong," and just like criticize the entire thing and like just blurt our proportion. But I think <clears throat> it takes a, a different kind of skill set to be very calm in those situations. And then just be like, listen, everyone, like we need to do this. 
um, and I've noticed like that's the as you go higher up, that's the skill set or that's the thing that you are most responsible for is staying very calm and composed and then figuring out the next step because nobody else is able to do so. So, right. so yeah, so as a manager, like I think, um, I don't think the responsibility falls on them specifically, but it is their job to make sure that <clears throat> anything that the team is taking on and delivering that they um, are able to run a tight chip and a process that allows them to uh, you know, give reasonable estimates that the devs are in fact involved in coming up with. And <clears throat> that way when something fails, like the, the, the developers on the team feel like responsible and, you know, um, uh, they feel they have an equity in that, not only the decision, but the outcome. And then how much of this, how much have you found an experience when you have to say, you know, give bad news to the layer above you? How collaborative are they just in general in terms of like it being an iterative process, right? Because when I think of a mistake, it's like, okay, we have to figure out what happened and who did what and why it happened. But it's not because we want to blame somebody and say everything is their fault. It's because we want to go, okay, well, something went wrong with our process and all of these individual actions along the way were maybe subtly misaligned. And then the, the end result was being way, you know, way off or, right. or just something unexpected happened or things take longer. But if you're, you know, if you're in a meeting with someone a couple of levels above you and they're like, okay, well, this is, this is a problem or this doesn't work or this is late or something, then how much of there's like an opportunity to like iterate and like cooperate and like collaborate there where you say, oh, well, here's what we learned from this and here's why it happened. And here's what we're going to do to like, you know, to actually improve, not just sorry, boss, won't happen again, but like, okay, let's actually all get together and figure out, you know, if it will happen again and if, you know, and, and like what we can do to mitigate that. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> I mean, again, it varies from our, uh, between our organizations, but I think, um, uh, for the most part, um, uh, it's it's fairly iterative. Again, they're relying on, I think at a certain level, um, because people don't have enough visibility into how things are working at the ground level or at the line level, as people might say, um, they rely on their senior leaders to figure their stuff out. Uh, like just for instance, right? Like uh, uh, for my team, if it's like, you know, if there's like 30 people working on multiple things at the same time, um, people above me will not have the knowledge or the foresight or any, anything really to figure out what is going on. So there, uh, if I do go with any bad news, that's fine. But generally speaking, what I see is like they, they look at, did you uh, take the, like take risks for the right reasons or, mm. you know, like that sort of thing, as opposed to, um, Can you talk a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So for ex an example would be, is you, you know, you may, uh, do something where you uh, wanted to rewrite some code base and you felt strongly that like in the long term, this will be the better outcome. And so, so, I mean, the, like there's many instances like that I've seen, which, which are often the ones where you may get criticized in the short term. Um, but then they will, <clears throat> the same people may realize and congratulate you in the long term. So I've experienced this. I've experienced it happens this all the before. time, right? I mean, it's the way I would say it's the, it's the, it's the usual dilemma that everyone, almost every software team deals with. And so <clears throat> what I noticed is when, uh, I'll give this instance, but, um, without getting into the details is, uh, there was this instance where, uh, you know, we could have taken the faster route on something, which would have allowed us to ship within a month. 
and then but we wanted to do something better so it would unlock uh, more doors uh, and in order to do that we took a route that took us three months but then it accelerated the iteration cycle so much and unlocked so many doors that people didn't fully grok at the time like what it meant that then way down the line they all you know everyone who had previously said oh this is a this is a bad idea uh, you know, they trusted, they went with my guidance at the time, but they were still like not sure what will happen. And then when we finally delivered it, and then we were just like, just delivering these features like really, really quickly. Um, at that point, they, everyone's mind was changed overnight almost. And, and again, that's like an example where uh, it's one of those leadership, it's not a leadership principle, but it's something I know Jeff Bezos says a lot, but it's way true in practice what happens a lot is being being uh, willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time is something that you sort of, um, and but that's the thing, you kind of have to build credibility and have very solid foundations uh, to be able to make these trade-offs. And so what happens is the more you become wrong or the more it seems like nothing seems to be working, the more debt you pile up like that, the less people are willing to iterate with you on something. And mm. so you have to maintain your credibility. And, you know, again, that you don't lose that overnight. But I've seen <clears throat> an example would be I've worked with sort of, you know, managers in the past where any estimates they give you are just not valid. Yeah. No, it, it, no matter what, though. Right. No matter what. And it's just like uh, it's one of those things where, you know, if it happens once, fine. If it happens twice, OK. It happens three times, four times, five times. It just keeps happening. Um, it's one of those things where people will no longer right, like give you that leeway. But that tells me that you're not taking risks for the right reasons, right? You are using processes that are clearly not related to what estimates you're giving me. So <clears throat> in the, you know, like, like I've seen different flavors of it, but one flavor I saw was uh, a top-down approach where the manager would put intense pressure on their teams to say that, oh, you should, you should be able to do this in three days, right? Or four days, you know, something like that, some, some number. Or, or before <clears throat> Monday, you know, yeah. Yeah, just like some number. And again, uh, because they're not close to the system, uh, what they think should happen, sometimes they just don't have devs who will push back and say, no, this will take more time. Uh, I don't think this is a good idea. So oftentimes they're pushing a date without really getting the team to be involved. And so that would cause them to just be fundamentally wrong because they are basing it on, I want to call it a hidden process at this point because I don't know what it would be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a really like pervasive issue for like you know developers overall, like in any large organization, is that sometimes you have a deadline that comes from you know engineering estimates to meet some long term goals, and other times you have a deadline that it came from people who have essentially no engineering context. And they essentially said, I want this done by X date. And they don't really know, like they don't exactly know fully what they want and they don't exactly know how long it should take. Um, and I think that leads to teams delivering an approximation of what was asked for by the deadline. Like it's, it's very like deadline driven programming where it's like, okay, well we're three days away from the deadline. So, any you know this is what we're going to cut but then as you as you go up the layers in management um you you're not necessarily always running into i mean even people who are technical they they will have less and less context the further you move up so are they like in your experience do you find that at 
you know, at higher levels of management coordinating, you know, at like the top of an org, the director of an org, or even like coordinating across orgs, like a VP, are they sort of sensitive to the limitations of their knowledge? Or is that something that kind of they expect to be translated through different layers where it's like, okay, I'm telling you this, but obviously, you know, you can tweak it if you need to. Yeah, I think, excuse me. Um, yeah, as you move higher and higher, you have to, you end up delegating a lot more. So you, you, it's one of those things where I think the, the strategy in general in management, or, or this is something that like you have to sort of do is, um, uh, is trust, but verify. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find ways of doing that because as you go higher and higher, you're delegating a lot more, uh, to senior leaders. So if you're a VP or delegating to a director and senior managers, that sort of thing. And so there is this kind of trust at that point that the fact that you got to that level, um, you know, means that you need to be more autonomous in how you deal with things. So in those situations, um, and like the, 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 the way at least like, you know, on Amazon, like when they say senior leaders, it's L7 and above. Mm -hmm. And the whole rationale there is that the senior leaders are responsible for strategic direction. So for them, they should be given a problem or two with uh, just simply saying, like, go figure this out, right? And they should be able to organize a team around it, figure out the funding plan, figure out everything, really. So they kind of operate or are meant to operate like a lot like a, I want to say, uh, or at least this is the um, this is the intention is they should be able to run like a CEO of a startup. Mm. So they, they write, you know, they write documents that, uh, justify their existence. And like, they, they, they essentially run these units independently. And when I look at a director, for example, they often organize or manage multiple senior leaders, which means they're managing multiple, maybe disparate units of business. Um, sorry, disparate business units um, uh, that you know are run by these different people, and so I think once you go higher and higher, I think there the the challenge is you're not really plugged into anything, so you're thinking uh, at a very strategic level around how things should be run, who should work on what. Um, but then beyond that, like underneath that tree, you don't really control, so right. you delegate, you know, a lot. So you try to find areas where you can you can have a way of verifying something. So it'll be instances such as um, asking questions about like how operationally something works, or asking questions about how why adoption is a certain way. And so oftentimes those you know those questions don't need you to be very close to something. You just op see a trend in the QBR or something and you ask a question, if they can't answer it, well, you generally know that they don't know, they are not plugged into their business. So th this is interesting because when you're saying, you know, this is part of the, like all the delegation is part of the trust part and then verify, you know, one way of verifying is asking questions. And if they look really nervous and go, Oh, I'll get back to you. Then that's like, and then, you know, then that that's maybe not as good of a sign if it's something that really should be at their fingertips. Um, but then how do you, it's like a, who watches the watchman? How do you verify, like, how do, how does a, an organization protect itself from someone who's like pretty quick on their feet, pretty smooth talking and a pretty confident bullshitter? Like, is that because I, I haven't encountered those. It seems like they're weeded out, but I'm not sure by like what mechanism they're, they're like. Yeah. Know, I think removed. it's interesting. Like what I noticed at the end of the day is uh, for uh, ones who can just talk, you know, and not do anything else well. 
uh, generally what ends up happening is they just can't deliver something. So what ends up happening is that their failure to deliver um, simply gets a lot, uh, is, uh, is, it's, uh, the, 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 they elongate that process a lot. So they so, will, mm. right. So they will just like, they'll just keep making up stuff and people believe them and like they believe them and they believe but them. over time. They're actually like, they're withdraw. Like they have a bank of credibility and every single time. And sometimes it may be justifiable. It's like your team actually ran into some problem, but yep. it's going to go good. Or, or there's some other issue that you're having, but yeah, each time you're doing. And so I guess it's like, they're making withdrawals from their credibility, but if they never ship anything, they never, are making a deposit back. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's like it's just incontrovertible evidence. Like, right, is if you are not shipping something um, of consequence, um, people will put up with it and give you benefit of the doubt, like, you know, uh, like for some time. Uh, but then I've like rarely seen them go beyond maybe one and a half, two years if like it's not really. That's driving. still a great run if you're a bullshitter. Like that's, you have that's to be wonderful. Very, yeah, generally it's because of like the, I mean, even in that situation, I think the problem is or the, it'll generally be something like, oh, there was some data from either a past team that they were on where they seem maybe they did something. So it's either bad data. So people give them um, leeway, I guess, longer. Mm-hmm. Or it'll be that there is, the, you know, their manager or someone is, uh, above them is protecting them and, uh, and but this is yeah. tricky right because i mean as we talked about last time sometimes you do need someone to protect you you know like and in a sense like it's not necessarily a negative thing to have someone level right. above you giving you a little bit of extra slack because sometimes that's what's needed to like really oh, for deliver sure. something yeah great. no it's not black and white but uh the example i want to give you is uh, where the manager above you is not they are either unaware or they are ignoring the fact that there is something wrong with whether you understand something, you know, like the person below them. Um, and it can be because they themselves, you know, uh, they don't have domain expertise in it or something like that. Uh, but I've seen instances where that feedback loop is not good. And so it causes uh, you to have people. So the peers that they're working with, they notice it faster. Sure. And so that's where getting peer feedback from people can be very useful. And generally you want to get feedback from peers who you trust um, as opposed to, and by trust, I just mean they have a track record of delivering. They have a track record of being, giving solid, you know, feedback and, you know, all that, that sort of stuff. So they have credibility. And so you want to get feedback from those people because they will tell be the first ones to tell you if someone is not up for the challenge or, uh, they clearly are, you know, like missing in a lot of areas or that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Cause that's, there's something interesting just about the very like nature of senior leadership as you go up is that you, you can't have your hands in the day-to-day operations as much, you know, even, you know, like in your case, you're, you know, you're very technical, you're like very good with like JavaScript and node, but at this point it wouldn't necessarily like how would you feel about like dipping your hand, you know, like dipping in and being like, Oh, I, I don't agree with, you know, I don't agree with the size of their webpack bundle. And it's like, is that even if you're right, is that a good use of your time? And like, how do you figure out like when to use your technical chops and when to say, I need to even delegate, I need to even delegate the verification because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for me to, to be in the weeds this much. Yeah. I think, Yeah, I think the so the way I think about it is um, you the only way you can grow uh, or 
So like I said, if a senior leader is supposed to make strategic decisions to free up your time to be able to do that, you need to set up something where, you know, or processes or an org where other people will step in to do what you were doing before. Mm. Right. And so there, uh, the idea is you have to find people who are almost as capable when, you know, like you were in that position, let's say four years ago, uh, who can play that role, you know, again, with their own flavor, with their own personality, you know, that sort of thing. But the output is what you're looking for is, are they able to question those decisions? Are they able to, you know, run with that culture? So one of the things I do on my team right now, uh, and I believe in it very strongly is, um, is for, uh, you know, so when I hire software development managers, I actually don't hire them from external places. I, I, I first try to see if there's internally, if I can, uh, I want to say grow someone from within before I even attempt to go outside. And the rationale for that is, um, and I think there's something a lot of people I've seen agree with me on this, which is, is with engineering, the high, the biggest thing you have to be able to do is be able to empathize with the code base and like why something exists a certain way. And what are the things at, you know, in, within the company that uh, are, are, you know, are, are inherent to that company. And the problem with getting, you know, versus if you hire for sales or places where uh, people relationships matter a lot, where you can come in with a hundred new contacts, their hiring externally would make a lot of sense. Right. So with engineering, like the situation I see a lot is um, I've just not personally seen a lot of instances where hiring an external SDM helped the cause because they weren't like, you know, they weren't themselves strong ICs to begin with. Mm. And so, and I, I find that to be a very important strategy because the, 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 you know, if I were to count like uh, what does an SDM do, um, one of the top things they are supposed to be able to do is uh, make a team effective right uh on technical projects right i mean they're the software development manager and it's like okay that if you're not very confident on the software development part then it's like very it's very difficult to be a good manager right and the thing is you may you may know general principles of software development but the area where i find like it to be most interesting is um uh, is if you're not able to talk to sds and understand what they're telling you really understand what they're telling you um, then you may not be in a place to question them the right way. And likewise, you may not be able to represent their work the right way. So then it kind of carries over. This right? is really interesting because it's, it's, it's a problem on, on, I guess on both ends where it's, uh, you know, delegation is good, but blind delegation is bad, right? Where it's yeah. like, if, if you're delegating because you have no choice, then you're not really delegating. You're just sort of abdicating. You're just pushing responsibility on someone else and hoping they do a good job. And then on the other end of representing your team's work, um, you're making it harder for the layer above to delegate things to you because you actually can't, you don't actually know if what your team and code base is capable of. You right. may be on the spot and agree to something that you shouldn't have agreed to, or you should have pointed something out. And so it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's interesting because like, Good leadership is all about delegation, but it's like, okay, but you have to delegate in the right way mm -hmm. to the right people. And also, if you're not at the very top of the pyramid, you need to be someone who can be delegated to effectively, yep. right? Like yep, that's you, right. you can't be wait, waiting for like, you know, 
you don't want your boss to have to tell you what to tell your team to do. Yep. Yeah. You, you, um, yeah. So at the end of the day, I think, um, whoever you're hiring to delegate or manage a responsibility, you want to think about like, what are their core functions and, and then hire for the role that you need as opposed to, um, uh, as opposed to simply following like, you know, just the, the, the topical definition of the, of, of the job code, um, that sort of thing. So for instance, and this has been, you know, this is like might shock you, but like uh, for a long I'm time. Ready, I'm ready to be shocked. <laughs> for, I mean, for the longest time, uh, people did not recognize, I think for the most part in the industry until maybe, uh, <clears throat> I want to say around like 2009, 2010, maybe that front-end engineering like discipline was unique enough that management of said discipline oh yeah uh, right uh may may need a different kind of person i would argue this still hasn't been recognized yeah no like i, like, I would say like i mean it's starting to change right. but you still it's mm, it's really interesting to see like that split of where um yeah, like we're like like there's still there's still the dream of full stack. Yep. No, there's still a dream of full stack. There's this assumption that general like computer science principles will be good enough for you to understand uh, what is really you know that plus a domain specific field. Uh, and so, if I were to you know look at that and use like logic to say, okay, I want someone to manage a front end engineering team. And they're going to deliver all these projects that have like clearly like this domain expertise built in. And, you know, the, this person will be responsible for understanding what's going on, allocating the right people to those projects, meeting up with everyone on the team, helping develop their careers, uh, you know, as front end engineers. Um, the only way any of that will work out is if they are respected as ideally speaking, respected as a front end engineer themselves. And having gone through the process, will there is a huge credibility that simply comes by uh, being in the, their shoes. And so I find that they can run teams really effectively, at least engineering teams, um, effectively if they have uh, a history of having been a great IC. Because they can see past like a lot of... And what do you mean by uh, IC? I should have asked oh, yeah, it's a, terms. Yeah, it's a, IC is an individual contributor. So the, yeah, so this is, you know, how NSD, like anybody who's not managing people is technically an individual contributor. Um, and generally their range of influence uh, starts with a single feature, goes to then a project, then to a project with more ambiguity and then multiple projects with ambiguous goals, things like that. Sure. Yeah, like you're expanding your like the range of things not just here's a feature you wrote it's fine to here's this feature you wrote that's like core to this product mm -hmm. or and versus here's this thing that's actually core to multiple objectives across an organization or multiple orgs yep it's funny like uh, steve jobs like there's a rare video of him <clears throat> when he was introduced uh, sorry when he was interviewed uh i think when he was at next or he had just come back from next to apple mm -hmm. Um, and he had this, uh, it's like this five minute video where he, he, he mentions how, uh, he thinks the, like in his experience, the best managers also happen to be the best ICs. And it was very interesting to watch this because this is from like early nineties. And so he, he mentioned how when next was growing, 
they as well as i think uh, maybe in the early days of apple too but at next he was mentioning how they hired a lot of like professional managers and he basically said that what he found was for the most part they just couldn't do anything on their own so they like they weren't ICs so all they did was like people manager and they were like no and it didn't turn out to be very good so what happened routinely is the best ICs would quit because they didn't feel like they had a connection point with their own managers right and so he mentioned how the best ICs then would become the best managers and would convert purely because they didn't think anyone else could do a better job anyway and so he even went as far as to saying that was his theory and i really believe in that in that i've experienced that myself is it's very hard to respect someone where you know they don't really know what's going on they, and so you know steve jobs uh, quote, you know he in fact called such people bozos <laughs> because they couldn't they couldn't do anything themselves but, but this is what's, what's so interesting about yeah. like when you talk about individual contributor and this is this doesn't just mean like oh everybody has to be a developer you know steve jobs himself was famously like pretty non-technical mm-hmm. um so it's not necessarily about technical versus non-technical but about are you at a role in which you are contributing and evaluated on what you are individually putting out there at some point and do you do you have the contextual knowledge that can only come from you know doing whatever role it is you're doing like actually doing it not just telling a team of people to do it yeah i think <clears throat> my view is this applies to line level managers that's that's my view because your your role requirements change as you become a manager of managers or uh, which is kind of where it goes then thereafter Cause, really cuz i this is something i really want to get into is like as managers, as managers go up in levels, uh, we were kind of joking about this before, but uh, I imagine it's like you just spend more and more of your time in meetings, like as mm-hmm. as you or preparing for meetings. But then, that's that also feels like its own skill set of of how do I how can I be like effective at conveying things in meetings, and how can I like uh, it's. And then even even then in terms of like the meetings of time, like, you know, as a developer, I like have just have a natural aversion to yep. like any any meeting that's more than a couple of people, because I'm always like, why are all these other people here? And, right. you know, maybe there are 16 stakeholders, but I really doubt it. You know, it's like there should maybe there should be it should be more narrowly focused so that we can like figure out what it is that actually needs to be asked for who actually needs to convey something and who needs to. Sure, sure like sign off of it, they conveyed it. But then as you move up, it, again, the, I guess it's harder to have that luxury. Like if you're say a director of an org, like, can you have, can you have like a rule of saying, I don't want to have a meeting with more than four people? Or is that just like totally untenable? No, I think it's very possible. I think what people fail to see sometimes is, is, uh, is what output they're trying to get first and then decide whether a meeting solves it or something else does. And because what I find routinely is that most other times uh, meetings is not what is needed there. Uh, it's often something else. So mm. it will be, uh, and I, I, I asked myself that question. So my meeting, my generally my calendar is like not full of meetings at all uh, because I figure out whether, you know, one is, can this be done over email? Um, second like again, what output are we trying to get out of it? And like, does a meeting fit that bill? So the only instance where a meeting fits that bill is all other alternatives for the most part, I find 
will take have a larger uh, cognitive load, I guess, for getting that across. So, so a great example of that is when uh, when you're trying to solve something or do something that is um, is not is not structured. So, an example of that would be. Um, you know, where uh, you want to get someone's feedback on a document, but it needs to be a discussion, then it's it's not a great thing to do or email because people will, you know, talk over each other. They may write too much. Uh, you know, one person write too much, one person write too little. There won't be a structured discussion between those individuals. And so a meeting is very useful for when you need like multiple people to discuss or debate something. Uh, and it's uh, it's not something that you can do very well or email and, or, or just any something reason. that you yeah. want to be in real time with the ability to sort of like clarify things on the fly versus like yeah absolutely for 14 emails later somebody goes wait you said that i just realized yeah and we, we have seen this all the time right like it's yeah. uh, there's many instances where emails little email threads that go on for days and then you have one meeting and it's done so so that's right. a case where actually the meeting is far from being like the, like the pointless waste of time. Like that's the thing where it's like, so it's, it's really picking the right tool for the job. Pretty much. Yeah. But then in terms of, cause let's see, I had a question about like, is there a clear distinction in your mind about when you talk about the expected output for a meeting? I've been to a lot of meetings where they were like, they were literally like, this meeting is just a touch base. And I was like, well then like, what do, okay. Like I now know, the faces associated with these names I've been like, you know, maybe emailing with or, you know, collaborating with on something, but you know, it, like, is like, is that like a legitimate goal just to be like, Hey, I just want to do it. It's like, or like, could you almost maybe do like a meet and it's almost in some cases I see that we have a meeting, we just want these teams to meet each other. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know about you, but the way I meet 16 people is usually not to have each person go around, say their name right. and then have, three people talk for 20 minutes each. Like that doesn't, that's usually not <coughs> mm -hmm. two teams meeting each other. So it's like, can you? Yeah, yeah, like you, <clears throat> yeah, you have to, uh, yeah, like you have to think about like what all possible ways there are and what you're trying to get out of it. So um, <clears throat> uh, like, I'm trying to remember now, but the, you know, there was an instance where there was, um, uh, you know, there was a, a team that sort of uh, merged with my team at one point. Uh, and essentially, you know, wanted to uh, figure out, you know, how to, uh, in some ways, do a meet and greet, let's say. So instead of doing, um, you know, just like booking some room and then just being like, oh, go, everyone go, you know, tell their names. Uh, we just did a happy hour. We went out somewhere and like, and nobody had to, nobody had to introduce themselves. They just naturally start talking about, well, you know, what they were found interesting and things. And, and sometimes we didn't talk really about the team or anything like that either. But it was helpful because um, <clears throat> from their perspective, it was sort of like um, it was a view into the other team's culture. And I think and that was that, the output I was trying to get out of the that, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. No, that is huge. Right. It's like just understanding their background, just even to the point of going, OK, that, oh, we'll fix that in post, uh, which I say and have never, I've never fixed anything in post, but, uh, but no, but even to the point of saying like, okay, well this team has an on-call. So if I have an issue that's like medium severity, I could ping their on-call and have some legitimate claim to it. 
But if you already know another developer on that team and you go, oh, actually, I know that like she wrote most of that module and was really interested in this. So even if she doesn't have the answer, she can point me in the right direction. And you sort of skip um, these like process layers that are really meant to be used across greater distances, right? So like, for instance, like a ticketing system, uh, it sometimes feels really weird when you have like in a large company like like Amazon, you can you can cut a ticket against like anybody, basically. And sometimes you're cutting a ticket against somebody who is in a totally different org, is half around the world. You didn't even know their team or org existed until you had a problem with their service. And like in that case, you really need to use a formal process because you don't know what's going on there. But it can be really, really like, I guess, suboptimal mm -hmm. is what I'd say, mm -hmm. is to have two teams that are sitting 100 feet away from each other uh, who don't know anything about each other, don't know each other's names, and are just like cutting tickets against each other for like related services. Um, because you're you're having to, to use this like very informal layer that's like designed to be, you know, exhaustive and but also is like kind of more slow moving um so what like what can you do to other than just like happy hours because happy hours can be a real hit or miss right happy hours you know every like <clears throat> it's always interesting to meet someone at a company or org where the happy hour is great and they're like wow this is a really big perk uh -huh. and because then there's always someone else in another org who's like our happy hour is like terrible. There's like three bags of chips and they buy some IPAs and then just like, I don't know, like some people stand around and like talk about the Apple watch for 15 minutes and then go back <laughs> to work. Right. Like, right. so, and, and not even like having a party culture, but like what, what can you do to help? Like, like, do you, if you're like saying wanting to do some kind of like meet and greet or some kind of just like, yeah, like a window in another team's culture, do you like collaborate with that manager? Do you collaborate with that org to go, Hey, I have this like idea for something that we should do, or I have this, you know, this structure in mind, like, what do you think? Or, or what do you think of this as like an activity or just a way of doing things? Like, are you, do you, do you just like say, this is what we're doing. Come on over at four. Or are you like more, you know, I mean, the, back and forth? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the happier example I gave you before was more like a smaller team, you know, sort of thing. Um, and again, it was very specific to what was going on. Sure. So it was not like, no, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying like on yeah. rules for software development, no, 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 always no. have a happy hour. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, I don't mind, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think so that the thing to keep in mind is again, like, uh, that also goes back to hiring as well, which is, uh, when you're hiring people, um, you know, the culture fit we talk about often is simply, uh, you know, like. Uh, it's a very broad term, but it's uh, a, lo a lot of it is just like sort of looking at whether, uh, you know, they will, if given a free team environment, like, you know, will they succeed? Mm. It's kind of how I look at it. And so that doesn't mean they have to obviously drink or anything like that. Right. And so, uh, but, and so you can't expect everyone to socialize either, or you cannot force socialize uh, people to socialize in within your team. Mm -hmm. So it's just creating many avenues for, uh, where people will feel that they can socialize. So, so, so it's more about creating the opportunity and then sort of seeing, seeing what can what be set into motion. Yeah, exactly. So I'll give an example. So there was a, you know, so it was common, right? You know, it's common to do happy hours where, like you said, people bring some beers and chips and whatever. Now, turn, you know, for sure, there's a lot of people who don't uh, drink alcohol, right? Sure. 
And so it's like, it's Or awful. they just don't like to drink alcohol with coworkers at work. Sure, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's so many variations of that. And so as a result, like if you aren't cognizant of that, um, you first of all may not even realize that you should get something other than alcohol. Uh, no, seriously. And, and I have seen this so many times myself and, you know, it was, it was very apparent, but like, uh, that's like just step one. But then, uh, a lot of times the events you do, right. They are, it's, it's, uh, you want to find things that people will do because they enjoy the activity, but they may not be happy. They may not be people who can just stand around and talk about something. Right. And so <clears throat> we have done happy hours where, you know, you'd go do bowling uh, as an example or pool or both. And, um, and a lot of people who you would think, you know, who don't hang out for happy hours would show up and they would, they would just, you know, they'd enjoy themselves, play, you know, play bowling, play pool. Right. And in that process, like bond with the team, talk about things that they just wouldn't do in a static, like kind of stand around, t- try to make conversations happen, happy hour. Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, software developers, if I were to guess, are probably more introverted on average. Um, I mean, it's it's a stereotype, um, but just, and obviously my own like data is like anecdotes, but I've compared a lot of other engineers and uh, I don't, you know, I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's, it's a good way to, you know, get code done is to put your headphones <laughs> in and write code. Like if you're like, but at the same time, it's it, I I've seen, I've seen it go well and I've seen it go, go badly in terms of like being like, let's do this like team event or, or, or let's socialize. And, it, and, you know, they're doing the right thing. They're saying, okay, we're giving the space for this. We want this to happen, but then like, it doesn't really like it doesn't necessarily serve its intended purpose. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Um, at least, the, I mean, this is what I observed. But I think for me, the biggest thing that helped the team culture for me was uh, is you know, if since I was the top level manager for my own group, uh, as it was growing, um, always being open to any, almost anything. Like, you know, I know I'm not, not like that, not like that, but what I I'm, didn't say anything, <laughs> you were looking at me funny. So uh, let me correct myself there. So being open to a lot of different uh, avenues that people would suggest, regardless of whether it's a happy hour or it's uh, some process or something that's broken, um, having being really open to the point where you would just be standing outside, you know, <clears throat> outside your office, like in front of everyone and talking about some really hard topic. Uh, with someone else as if it's a common conversation uh, is something I personally think that is important to be able to do is because that opens up like, you know, people, you know, then don't feel like um, they feel like they're included in like a, a like what's going on and it, they feel like you know what's going on and you have no trouble talking about it. And, and also it activates a different, I feel like it activates a totally different part of your brain. Even people who have really like, um, difficult like any like social anxiety issues mm-hmm. or even like um uh, i've had i've had like experience with people who are um you know on the autism spectrum but like really considered pretty far to one end and it says oh they're not very social but it's like no it's just the people around them don't have the same interests as them and so it's like if you can find someone with the same interest then now they're not using the i'm socially awkward this is boring i don't want to talk about the weather I, like you know this is weird and right. they're they're now like using their like specialist discourse brain they're like oh i'm 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 knowledgeable i'm confident right i have things about it that i think are funny so now it's like all of a sudden this this total 
like flip where it's like someone just like turns on. And I think like there's that's, you know, at work, it's like, oh, we want to have a party and we talk about work. And it's like, yeah, if we're having it work hours, then like, yeah, it's okay to have deep technical conversations. Like it's more than okay. It's encouraged. It's a good, like, I think that's part of like a software engineer is uh, like fluency, being able to like talk about, not just like being able to get the code done, not just being able to like, you know, knowing all of the input parameters by heart, but being able to talk about code and different paradigms and different things, not just like even beyond the level of like trivia. I think sometimes people go, oh, well, I can tell you that this is faster than that. And isn't that interesting? And it's like, right. usually not. It's not like, usually yeah, no, what's I'm, more interesting is like. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I yeah. mean, referring to, uh, and this is like the more uncommon thing, but uh, people talking about team issues, org issues. Yeah. Openly, like. That's great. Like that kind of transparency is right, great. But it's way rare. It's, it's, it's something that I really believe in because I feel, um, it, honestly, like nothing bad ever comes out of it. The fact of the matter is, uh, that's something a lot of managers will just avoid at all costs. So then what it feels like when you do a happy hour or that sort of thing, right. Is, is it's just like this attempt at cohesion as a, or, or some kind of, uh, not cohesion. I want to say uh, some kind of social, uh, so <clears throat> some some sort of like uh, um, uh, uh, like attempt to socialize as opposed to no, really. It, it feels. I, cause yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. It feels like deeply insincere. Like that's yes, like that's yes. what it, it's like. Here's what we're gonna do. We're all gonna get together and not talk about why so many of you have been having it with like getting paged in the middle of the night and why so many of you are working sat like and why everything's so like yeah, this idea of like we, we gotta put a happy face on it. And it's like we actually don't. We're engineers, we're very comfortable solving yeah, like, problems. Yeah, like I, the way I think about it is uh or at least this is how I always thought about it is uh is yeah, like I once wondered, like, okay, you know, if I go have drinks after work. Right. What is the purpose of that to do it after work? And most of the time, right, it's so you can not only get your mind off work, uh, but, you know, you can you can change your context and you can uh, even for that matter, talk about work related things that are bothering you. And you do all these things, right, like to essentially change the context of what you were doing. And so if you think about it, one of the things that helps people socialize more is if you're giving something in the return as opposed to simply beer like five dollar gift cards <laughs> yeah sure sure five dollar gift no, cards no you're supposed to say no those are those are no. so that's the height of insincerity no 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 <laughs> i went like it's the same to me as giving someone beer at a half year that's no, no, what i know yeah, you mean no i know yeah, yeah. some kind of like some something a little no there's there's like it has to exactly seem, yeah, it has to seem it has to be sincere and so a, a great aspect of that is i think is at least the best happiers or the best team culture is where you just you just sort of feel like that everyone and anyone on the team, including your top level manager, will be willing to talk about almost anything that's awesome and anything that's really messed up about the team at any time. No matter, and it doesn't have to be in the office unless it's very, very, very sensitive for, for any reason. Sure. And it's very rare to see that. And as a result, like you, you know, and that creates a more, I would say a more fun team environment because everyone is free to come in and just talk about whatever they think should be different. And you, you don't have the cognitive dissonance because there's, there's mm -hmm. something that it, it's, I, um, occasionally, um, lurk, I don't post, 
on an app called blind that is, is, uh, you know, covers like basically it's, I think they had a data breach. So maybe don't post me anything you wouldn't want to associate with yourself, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's a great app. And like, but what's interesting is there's a lot and maybe someone's exaggerated or some people are extra disgruntled, but basically it's where you post anonymously and it's, you know, you're verified you're from, you know, X company, but a lot of people seem to have like real, like fear at work. And like, it's in some cases it's like, fear of of like punishment or fear of being like a fear of like retaliation in their career for making good faith critiques or just like just a general fear of like even being noticed even just being like i want to keep my head down get my rsus you know like i don't want it like and it's interesting because even even in tough environments even when we're working hard even when people were like kind of like kind of like hardball and direct i never really experienced any fear at work like or, or, or i or fear in the sense of like oh no i'm gonna like lose my job i'll be fired for this like i never felt like it was i never felt like i was like on the edge of the, like on the precipice i mean maybe i should have but i i didn't and i think that there's something there where a lot of it is is i mean I'm, of course of course it's like it genuinely happens where this this will happen and but i think that it would be helpful for more developers and more like individual contributors to see things as if I'm feeling fear at work for making good faith criticisms for trying to do the right thing, that is actually a problem. That's not something that should be covered up or that, like that in itself is something I need to talk about like that, like, because I don't think that's intended because at least not within most companies, because that just doesn't in the long term that doesn't produce the best outcomes. So even, right. even if the company doesn't give a shit about you as a person, if you feel afraid to speak up to like make suggestions and point out problems and make improvements on the whole, a cold blooded lizard brained unfeeling company will make less money and will have more problems if people feel afraid to, to speak up. So it's like they want you to, I but I how think, do you convey that? Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, this is a good, good question. So like the situation I see is actually once you let's say get past like okay can people speak about anything that's you know bothering them or is affecting the team or the org uh the second thing that i see that uh good managers do versus not um is uh basically uh making real change and so it can be the most small thing but the fact is if anything you say doesn't have an impact people will stop talking to you about those sorts of things and it again, it 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 happens slowly. So as in, you sh you know, if you're managing people and you're like, oh, they you know they're not really telling me things, but I'm hearing it through the grapevine, you know, uh, start with the smallest thing they bring up, mm. and then you'll build trust on that. You know, in and again, tr you know, you should be genuine about it, but you build trust, and then you you'll hear more, and then you can make more impact. Um, the moment they see that things they say matter and that they have impact that creates a very strong uh, feedback loop mm -hmm. uh, and that will you know essentially lead them to discuss more as a team uh, and and it'll just lead to a lot of you know effects like network effects that maybe uh, may not be apparent initially yeah there's there's like kind of like an organizational sociology concept and i don't remember if we touched on this last time but uh i like the idea of like voice and exit right and so the idea is like the way people in an organization, people express themselves through their voice or they will express themselves through exit. Right. And so if people feel like their voice isn't being heard um, for like, then, they, you know, then they will they will vote with their feet. Um, 
But I think what's interesting is that uh, this is like this concept is understood, but it's been in some ways the essence of it has been missed because what they said is, oh, so we'll just let the employees like complain at us to let off steam. And then we just keep doing what we're doing or we tell them to buck up and we know it's hard or we say, hey, well, you know, that's like and it's like, no, that that actually what that does is that creates like, as you said, it creates like a spike in the short term where people are like, wow, this is great. I have voice. People are listening to me. And then it uh, actually creates like an increased risk of of exit because they go, oh, this was all just make believe. Right. What I said didn't matter. I spent a lot of time writing like a document explaining these problems and making, you know, making suggestions and trying to be proactive and like really trying to contribute and trying to point things out and trying, you know, and in the end, you know, you get a pat on the head and they go, how very interesting. And then, (laughs) and then nothing changes. And then they go, Hey, we're soliciting more feedback. And you go, okay, I don't feel like doing this because it's clear to me that this is not going, you know, this is a, it's the faucet isn't connected up to the water. So yeah, like I'm not going to turn the handle. Yeah. Like beyond impact change is very important, even if it means that you say something and your manager comes back in a week and says, uh, you know, I looked into that. This is why you're wrong. That's still, it's still important that someone cared enough to go figure out what to change or what to impact there. And the more you do it, you know, the more uh, you will find that people come to you with, uh, re- you know, all sorts of things. But but they will come to you in a way that seems freer than uh, some other teams. Or even just like the kind of like solidarity, even just like the manager goes, yeah, it's it's wrong. And I talk next level and they're going to try to talk to the next level. And, you know, I can't tell you that this thing you point out is going to be fixed, but I share your critique and I am trying, you know, I am also communicating Mm-hmm. upwards i'm not i'm not um acting as like a flak layer like where it's like i think you know managers know and the, some of their job is to like protect their team and absorb flak but then in some cases it's also their job to especially when things are not going well or there's like you know just lots of problems with the code base or something they also kind of need to filter their feedback they send up because if your manager every week says everything's on fire it's all screwed it's a disaster the person at the next level up is like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, right. like I'm, I will try to help you fix it, but you can't just say it's screwed forever. Don't expect anything. Like you, you know, you, you have to, even, even if that's true, you still have to try to save the ship from sinking. You can't just like declare the ship a loss, like immediately. Um, but that, I mean, then have, I mean, have you ever experienced anything where like, you felt like there were going to be repercussions for like bringing bad news upward. No, I think, yeah, I mean, at least uh, I would say, yeah, at least Amazon, I think in most big tech companies, I think it's the same, which is, um, yeah, there's never like, there's no, like the, the, yeah, repercussions are never like, I don't think people lose their jobs basically around bringing up like something happening necessarily it's way rare like as in it like those things you know people hear about at least like in other companies where that you know there's like um where i can see you know uh something's happening where there's a legal thing going on sure um but I, i'll just like f- like f- uh, phrase it to at least like everyday people you know like like um giving feedback or bad news at some point or saying like oh this this thing we're doing is wrong what i see is is actually something else which is 
most of the time i think what i see is just inaction and so what ends up happening because of that is is bad uh potentially bad outcomes continue uh for a while drain resources and then eventually they pivot to its logical conclusion for the most part but it just takes a while for that to happen and so what you see is just organizations getting very inefficient as opposed to anyone having career issues or, or you know that sort of thing what will happen is though it, yeah it, it's mainly inaction that just leads to uh, a drain on the org overall yeah and i mean, i think that's and then it also in addition to like okay this you know we're whatever our problem is or whatever issues are whatever like we're dealing with that we're not addressing is making us less efficient it's also not great for morale if you have someone or several people pointing out problems and the the main thing i think that when you said before and says oh i actually checked and looked into it and you're wrong like that's actually the most valuable thing of all is is if somebody's offering a critique i think there's a temptation in in uh management layers to kind of be like let's not even dignify this with a response but it just looks really bad because someone who's like actually in the trenches and who has like a comprehensive critique there may be some larger structural reason why what they're proposing or what their alternative is won't work. But if you just don't say anything, then all people see is one person accurately pointing out a bunch of problems that a lot of people are familiar with and someone else or some other layer not getting it, not responding, not understanding, just sort of like, yeah, being inert. So I'd say like, even, even if you have to, you know, explain to people why they're wrong. And even if it's like not a technical reason, but a business reason, just, you know, hearing their voice and responding, I think is even better than like, yeah, you want to come in yeah. and uh, yeah, you want to come in and explain uh, even things that you don't think they might understand. Let them ask questions. You, you want to, you have to, if you explain them the details that, you know, nobody would bother, no manager would bother to spend time doing like you were saying, mm -hmm. uh, that helps a lot. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is I think it gives them better context anyway. So they will in fact be empowered to make better decisions, uh, in the future. And what I've seen is like a lot of the engineers on my team <clears throat> over time, they just built more business context where they could sometimes be in a room and they would bring up these things that would catch people off guard. Because they were like, they, you know, for, uh, you know, for a lot of people, they are not used to SDEs. Uh, or <clears throat> engineers or, you know, ICs or in the tech team, at least, um, knowing things about how the business works. And so whenever those dots connected and, you know, you they would, they would see these people talking intelligibly about the business side, it would definitely, like, uh, strengthen the team's reputation and further. Sure. Because uh, we'll just, and help them out in general. But, well, yeah. Just because also, I mean, there are developers where um, I've been on, right, I've, I've, interacted with teams where no one on that team uh is like a deep infrastructure teams and again this is not a problem because they don't like their stakeholders are all other developers so or all other teams so but like i was like wow this is really interesting because no one on this team really has any idea how they connect to the larger like business needs and also no one non-technical can even talk to them like right. no like no one not like <clears throat> There is nothing they can say to someone non-technical that is informative. And there is nothing someone non-technical can say to them that is like of any use because it's like they're, they're very deep in the system. But I think what's interesting is that 
this is maybe part of like the whole like IT legacy. You know, it's like uh-huh. so, like it's really fascinating. Like departments of software engineers in some places, not I mean not Amazon obviously, but like in a lot of places grew out of the IT department. So and and uh, IT famously is like I or at least I think of of like IT as being infamous for essentially being a generic job position that doesn't really know or care anything about the business priorities. Mm-hmm. And so some companies, they take that same mindset and they just drive it forward. But to, to what degree though, do you think there's, um, like you said, people are surprised and like that definitely like helps and it helps you like, it helps them make better suggestions. It helps them call things out. But does that almost point a way forward where engineers should be invited to more of these like business meetings, like the business meetings where nothing, nothing technical is going to be discussed explicitly but there's like an implicit technical context, like, and, and then how does this interact with existing roles? Cause I've noticed uh, not necessarily like kingdom building, but definitely mm, uh, in a lot of ways, um, like PMs can kind of make a, a sharp demarcation where they say like, okay, we're going to have, you know, the UX person and the user researcher and like, and like this, and like these three PMs are going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to hand this off to the SDM and these three devs. <laughs> And it's like, okay, but should these people, you know, is it a good idea to have each person really only play like entirely one role? And like, especially the implementer, is it a good idea for the person implementing it to like be working exclusively off of like sprint backlog items and not really know what the high level objective is? Yeah, no, no, that's a good question. I think, um, like so hiring and career development in general is like a long-term play Mm. so as a result like when you the whole aspect of allowing people to stretch outside of their role whether it's you know questioning business decisions and things like that should be encouraged because at some point you might expect them to um, play that role anyway so Mm. an example of that is like you know just like moments ago we were talking about uh, like, you know, that I believe in developing, promoting from within uh, uh, people who could play, be a good SDM. So at that point, you know, you sh- you have to be in a place where you can start, st- you're starting to understand business needs and priorities um, because you are taking product requirements um, in the abstract, some need that's defined. And then you're trying to figure out the technical solution that, you know, most efficiently allows you to deliver that thing, but also keeps certain doors open for future iterations. And that's not a PM's function. Mm, that's really interesting because that that is, it, it's very hard for PMs to play that function. But what I, I see a lot is that it's almost like both 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 sides drop the ball, right? Where it's like the PM right. is unable to, the PM is unable to articulate what it is they want to, they want, they, they're unable to articulate the possibilities of what they hope to accomplish and want to be able to do in the next 18 months. And then developers, in some cases, don't even ask a question. They're like, I got right. the ticket. Uh, it's done. Feature complete. Let's move on. Yeah. And and so, at least in my experience, like what um, what's important to understand is, I think it's more, so if we just like, uh, just take the SD, SDM, SDE, like say tech team, and then the PM team, let's say for now, them as a unit, um, it's more a harmony than a strict trade-off 
and and the reason for that is is i think what i see is that the pms are focused on short term needs because they are required to sort of deliver features on like some kind of predictable cadence so that will make customers happy and customers want everything now uh for the most part that's true at least for the consumer business um and then you have a engineering side where they are constantly thinking about um things that will generalize and so they are thinking long term and but that long term can be can be stretched out quite it's, a lot and it's interesting because well it's like developers it like can be thinking long term mm-hmm. you know they have more flexibility because they can go like with, in terms of choice of tooling they go will this scale and then is this a one way door you know like all like but mm, they can be thinking long term but only if they're asked to right no, I, or, well, it's or, or a, I shouldn't say asked to, but only if they're empowered to. Because well, if somebody I find says fix it, fix this pile of shit, right, don't right. refactor it. No, so see that that's like, the thing. I think their default behavior, mm. uh, for the most part, that I've seen is to think long term. Yeah, and I think it comes from the area of finding gen- generalization and things, which takes time. So if you're if you're asked to build, let's say, some feature for a product. It's very incumbent upon the person to be like, huh, I wonder if this pattern repeats. That's what we do most of the time, right? It's yeah. like we find more patterns and then we try to, you know, marry that together. Yeah, then it's like, oh, great. This function is called abstractions, utility. right? Yeah, like you add a parameter <laughs> to it and now it's great. Now I can use this for all these data types. Yeah. It's, like- this, it's this thing we are, I, I feel like there's something we, um, at least engineering, like that's an aspect of what you do is you try to simplify and make things more efficient all the time. And you do it in the laziest way possible, if as much as possible there. Yeah. And so, so I think the harmony that I see is, I think, is when you don't let SDEs uh, do things that are long term, right? Uh, there is there is that imbalance there. And then when you have the PMs not be able to deliver things on time or not deliver things uh, short term all the time, there is an issue. And so the harmony I'm talking about is where the two, the two sides come together, right? And then compromise in some meaningful way where they deliver something that's not truly short-term but not truly long-term at the moment. And the only way that works out is from PM's perspective, till they ship a feature to a customer and get feedback, they are, you know, they, their iteration cycle is defined. Mm. Like as in you get a feature out and now the PM is busy for you know a month or two figuring out what came out of it right figuring out did the customer re- how did they react to it what happened like there's a there's time they're spending there and then from an sd's perspective uh what i see is that they i think over time they realize that tech is never done it's always evolving to something but it's never done no, there, there's a great cruelty in in the engineer who who builds something and say this is going to stand the test of time and it's like I, I assure you it's not. One day people are going to look at this and just be like, oh, I wish this didn't exist. I wish we could rewrite this. I wish yeah. this did. And, and, you know, the original system is, you know, it could be really great, high quality code. It's just like the tooling and possibilities. I mean, it may even be where just you build something from hand that doesn't exist. You know, you roll your own and it's and because you have to because there's nothing but your own. Right. And it's really good and you work on it and, and it works really over your use case. But then five, 10 years later, uh, off the shelf stuff does all of the same things, but in a more standardized way with a much larger ecosystem that's more generalizable. And yep. like, 
that's, you know, you did what you needed to do, but I think that's, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good takeaway is that engineers pulling towards long-term and, you know, stakeholders pulling towards short-term, the goal isn't actually to, if you get all of, if, if the PMs like, you know, win or whatever, and they pull everyone towards extreme short-term, then velocity is going to get worse and worse over time because everything is just like, you know, throwing one more piece of shit onto the, to the crap pile. Like, and then like, and then eventually it's just, it's unmanageable. But if, but yeah, but if, if the devs win, then you spend kind of unjustifiable effort building things to last for 50 years when in fact there's, you know, given the way things are going, they're, 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 you know, five years would be absolutely like the most. And I've seen, uh, I've seen both of them play out and neither of them are pretty for the obvious reason yeah. that you just mentioned. Um, yeah. And so, uh, in, in these instances, I think, um, if done right, uh, what ends up happening is, um, is, is both sides can win. So the, the way to, uh, essentially get this equilibrium between the two is from a PM's perspective, you think about it, uh, for them, they are always trying to just get more data. So they, again, are evolving towards the business need. And so the more features you can ship on a regular cadence allows them to do that and get closer and closer to you know solving the real business need. Even if that means they their original hypotheses were partially right or you know not completely right, but like 10% right, it's fine. Yeah. They can evolve towards the right thing. But the more of those iterations happen, it allows the engineering team to actually figure out what is the thing, what is the vector? Because that I think that's, it's very hard to, you know, you ask the PMs, you go, what's the vision? And they go, here's the vision. And then it says, okay, but actually the the vision, like what we're actually, what our, where, where we're actually taking this product and where, where it's actually being used is different. And so some of our original assumptions, like that are like deep, deep assumptions of like tooling choices or like code, you know, just like, just like the overall code base are wrong, but you couldn't have anticipated in it in it in advance. Uh -huh. And like, but then I guess, so one thing for like, from like the individual contributor, cause you know, every, every individual developer, like you're going to deal with, you're going to deal with the stakeholders. You're going to deal with, with, um, like PMs, um, like, I guess maybe what's a good way for an, like a like a an individual developer to go? Okay, I'm in a meeting. Like it's my team, and there's the PM there, and they're saying some like they're saying something about prioritization and the like the issue queue. And long story short, I I just need a month to refactor this shit, and then once we do it, we'll have really good feature velocity. Like like how does is that something you can communicate like at like the SDE level to PM, or is that almost like is it, mm, is that something where like maybe you, you like rope in your manager or is that something where you feel like the manager will kind of like figure that out if they're technical? Like in the sense, cause it's like just saying like, not, not in the sense of like, you know, when you're a manager, there's certain things you can do that you can't do as an SDE, but as an SDE, I think you, you still have some ability to like make that connection or to like to build credibility to PM to show that you actually understand and care about their objectives. Yeah, I think. Um... But like, how do you do it? Because I've, I've had mixed success. Like sometimes it's gone really well. And I was like, wow, I'm a genius. I cracked the code. And it was like, no, it's just uh -huh. one PM and I, like a TPM and I like had a really good connection. And then other times I've just, 
it's like I've spoken in a meeting and while I was talking, I realized that what I wanted to convey wasn't going to be conveyed and that like nothing I, I could do. Like, I was just like, I don't know how to get this across and my words are not useful. So I think, um, yeah, so I, I think refactoring is a very hard problem in general, but like the, the thing to think about is, is, uh, what trade off your get, sorry, what value you're getting out of it at the end of the day. So I think there's a tendency again, like I think, uh, even as an SD, like, you know, like I want code to look a certain way and it often means I want to change abstractions because they're not the best ones. Um, and honestly, I could do this all day on any package for a while. <laughs> These are this is, so. This is what not to tell a PM. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's just the that's just the. Uh, hopefully, yeah. they're not listening to this podcast. But no, but that's I a, assure you, that's how not. that's how at least I operate as an engineer was like I I could technically do that all day because it's everywhere I looked there was always something to fix and change and abstractions to resolve and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think, so, but you want to think about the value you're getting out of it. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, Amazon, like there's this notion of one way doors and two way doors, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing that people I feel don't appreciate. Oh, wait, just, just to explain. Like, oh yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, yeah, so just to explain like the, the way people think about decisions is, is it something that is reversible or not? And if a decision is reversible, don't spend too much time thinking about it. If it's, if it's not reversible, spend a lot of time making sure it's the right decision, which, which may, again, uh, makes obvious sense. Um, but the way it comes in practice in my experiences, um, is I find that tech is generally a two way door and, 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 and almost what, inherently, right? Inherently. Uh, uh, and it's, again, it's because like, uh, and, and, and to add to that before I go into this more is business problems are mostly a one way door. <sighs> And I'll, I'll explain what I mean there. And it's, and the reason that happens, I think is, is with tech for no, the this most is gold, like, this, is, this is gold. Like this is, this is, you already have your book. You can sell at the airport where it's like solving one way business pro like, like, in, like solving like under two way tech problems in a one way, one way world. Like, yeah, no, that I think that's really, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that book and the yeah. airline. I already can see it at the airport. I can already see people buying it as like a shitty gift for their brother-in-law on the way home at Christmas. Like, let's let's do this. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. And so, and and the reason for that is is uh, is with tech. Obviously, um, you can generally change the underlying systems or completely eliminate them in favor of something else while keeping the contract generally the same, and nobody cares. It's fine. It's not a big deal. It's not that hard to right. There's to do. there's there's surface and there's internals. You yep. know, it's like yep. don't care about or test or worry about internals beyond you know like what you directly need. <laughs> All the the surface is what matters. That's right. Um, <clears throat> but with business, uh, what I see is two things. Uh, one is time is of the essence for the most part. So like the once you miss an opportunity, sometimes it just doesn't happen. And second is once you put something out there. Uh, the challenge you have is is when you take it back, customers lose trust in you. No matter what people tell you, um, even if you run a beta, even if you run something that was meant to eventually go away, trust me, customers do not appreciate it because the ones who adopted and stay with you in the beta really deeply want to help you and care about you and their hope is that you'll iterate on it not take it back or close it out and so is this the moment where your interview with google ended 
that's a good one no i mean uh, yeah i mean i don't know i don't know deeply what their strategies no, are no i mean i, I mess with them. Like, they, they have like they have a semi-deserved reputation for like yep taking things and but i think that that's maybe something that they're learning because they were like like i was super excited about like the like like gmail like the lab stuff and all the experimental features oh, yeah, using all them, and, and then they kind of like deprecated them and and like but i think that's really interesting to say that like especially even especially if your beta sucks the more that your beta sucks the like the harder it is for the people you take it away from because the people who are using like a crappy beta mm-hmm. are like really invested they're not somebody who stumbled across it and went yeah, that's right. this is fine so like you're actually by like taking it by putting it out there and taking it back you're punishing your most like passionate users absolutely exactly that's exactly right so so this is something i admire about amazon and it's something i think we do really well um and this is again people see this in the public domain so nothing new there oh sure is is that we stay amazon something i've learned at amazon is we stay on a problem um for fairly long periods of time and we keep evolving our approach on that problem so i'll give an example that's now in the it's in the public domain now um but very recently amazon deprecated uh, or discontinued their dash buttons mm-hmm. uh so just so people who are not aware um amazon had launched uh, these things called dash buttons they're small internet connected um <clears throat> devices very small uh, cost $5 but when you order something through it uh you just have to press a button uh you can put it anywhere on the wall in your house and you press a button and it'll make an order just like that uh, uh to amazon and you'll have a box arrive at any time uh of your choosing and uh, so it was this way to uh, to order or rather as they call it replenishment items oh sure i, I thought it was a cool <coughs> idea yeah it's like you're, like you're looking you're like i'm out of paper towels mm-hmm. press paper towel button that's now right got paper towels and so if you think about it uh so you know i think uh dash buttons came in uh to the picture back in 2014 i think so so almost five years ago and uh they just got discontinued and if you think about it like if you you know one way you could look at it is uh okay all the customers using dash buttons must be really mad at this point and yes that would have been the case except uh amazon attempted or stayed on this problem long enough they now had they have other strategies or other products or things that are working way better uh or or there are other alternatives at least that you can go to that are fairly good so an example of that is, uh, you know, um, and again, people are aware of this. This has been covered in the press too, but Amazon has um, these things called virtual dash buttons. So you don't really need to go to a button. You can open up your phone and press a, I think that's, press a button. That's the key thing. It's, it's not just like, I mean, there will always be a diehard tiny core that's like, I wanted it exactly this way and no other. But yeah, the vast majority of your customers, it's like if you take something away or you deprecate something and you go, but we have, you know, one or more replacements, they'll go, okay, well, you've established, you know, it's like if you've established some credibility with consumers, they go, okay, I'm willing to learn what I need to download the, like, I'm willing to learn about this thing because the way it was marketed to me or the way I was told about it is that it would be a, like, almost exact drop in replacement it would continue to meet the same need in in a very similar way exactly. and so like yep. i'm not you know i don't feel like i'm being left on my own to kind of cobble together a solution now but like instead like okay it's more like this is the migration path that's right and so yeah so my personal view is as a result that i think um customers 
<clears throat> appreciate when someone or some company startup whatever it might be stays on a problem long enough where they know better solutions for it and it'll continue to be something they keep solving but, but also right? yeah and they'll never be done that's the other part of it but also just long-term support yeah right? just long just saying that yeah. even if you say hey you know what we're not interested in this we think it's a dead end but we are not going to just rug pull it from you we're going to you know soft deprecate over with like a phase you know three-year phased you know phase out or something yeah and sometimes it happens sooner it's just like being upfront about like what they are discontinuing why what is an alternative that sort of thing is super important and uh, my point is though uh there if you think about it if you take that example right the only way you can come up with those alternatives and deprecate this thing is because you found a better approach so you have to be fast at iterating towards that solution and so as a result that kind of you know kind of goes back to the point which is these are one way doors in that once you do one solution uh <clears throat> you can't take it back you can only change it to something else that may be completely different from a architecture standpoint what is you know need to be done you know needs to be done there and so with engineering that means you you know to adapt to that you have to be constantly be willing to uh adapt to change that's the only thing you can do at any given point in time and so to pretend like you know where the future lies what abstractions may come about is actually not something you can ever do it's just it's like a in my opinion it's a false run unless you really know uh the business as well side well enough and like what you know what all is playing out and you make like really smart predictions is very hard to know what's going to happen down the line and so the only thing you have to be very good at is adapting to that change and so you have to build engineering organizations that can very quickly change and adapt to a new problem space or can change and pivot to a different version of the same problem build many competing solutions to the same problem and then be able to quickly go between the three of them or four of them whatever it might be when the time arises and they find what it is um it's not to say that you know of course like the anti pattern there you know is like it's important to say that you should have time to focus on something and stay on a problem long enough in general and then <clears throat> for solutions you build towards that problem you should have enough time to focus on those solutions and make sure that there are good reasons for why it didn't work or it worked get those learnings and move on to the next you know next competing solution to that problem if if that's required uh but the iteration cycle becomes very important there so that's where engineering has to is often a two way door and can do, move fast so they should adapt to that change very quickly um because the business side of like you said you know like uh yeah while in terms of deprecating you need to have a lot of explanations um ideally some alternatives like a, a lot of support in order to move off to avoid burning customer trust in the long term and so <clears throat> that's where things get interesting is uh is while engineering is a long term sport from from in terms of how people generally behave and pm product management is seen like a short term sport in terms of how people behave when it comes to um taking things back engineering is in fact like a very right. quick uh and may seem like a short term thing you can take this back you really can quick. always take it back or even say we'll take it back next year and be able to totally but but product management on the other hand when it's time to take things back or change is in fact a long term sport 
is you have to think like what's going to happen to these hundred customers down the line when you try to introduce the next iteration or the next feature are they going to care are they <clears throat> going to be so dissatisfied with what you just did that are they going to even talk to you and 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 again the whole spectrum in between mm. i think that's that's a great note to end on um thanks for coming on again i'm sure i'll have you on again in the future yeah, absolutely thanks so,